Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. What's up, Paradigm? Hey, if you have a copy of God's Word, once you find the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26 is where we're going to be at tonight. If you're new to the Bible, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament or the second half of the Bible. And we are continuing this series called Heartland, and we live in the Heartland. And so if you're joining us from wherever you're joining us online, Kansas City, the Midwest is called the Heartland of America. And here's what we're hoping everyone will do that's hearing and joining us through this series is that every time you see this word Heartland, that you would begin to contemplate your own heartland. That inside of every one of us, what the Bible would say is our, is our heart, not just our physical, that muscle that's so important to your existence, but, but, but the seat of emotion and all of our desires. And that there are these things that, that pop up inside of our heart, and if we don't learn how to navigate these things, then we're gonna live a life that is quite complicated. And in the scripture, you find this, um, it's kind of the theme verse of this whole series, you find this very important tidbit of advice coming from the lips of perhaps the wisest person ever to live, a man named Solomon. And Solomon, he got to live everyone's dream and then some, and he got to reflect back upon those things. And, and God referred to Solomon as, as the wisest man outside of Jesus to ever walk the planet Earth. And Solomon writes this, this almost like a magnum opus of wisdom to perhaps his son. It's the book of Proverbs. And he says in Proverbs 4.23, he, he says, hey, above all else, guard your heart. You think about all the things that Solomon could have wrote about, like above all else, guard your bank account. <laughs> above all else, guard your wife. Above all else, guard whatever. But here's what he says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And here's what Jesus came to bring. He came to bring new life to you and I. And so he steps onto the scene and he says that I've come to, to not um, make you a better person per se. He says, I've come to, to make you have a new heart. But just because you have a new heart, if you know Jesus, doesn't mean your heart doesn't get dirty sometimes. And there's this thing that every one of us has walked in here with tonight inside of our heart. And it's maybe the dirtiest little secret that is inside of our heart. And if we don't learn how to navigate this thing that exists in all of our hearts, then it can lead us to experience some difficulty in life. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But before we get there, how many of y'all hate cleaning the bathroom? I just, I hate, I mean, if out of all the things in the house that you got to clean, the bathroom has got to be one of the most challenging places to get motivated to clean. And, and I, I grew up with all brothers. And so what that means is that once I got married, you know, I was going to have all boys. It was going to be like a boy household. But uh, lo and behold, God has a sense of humor. Um, I have now three daughters. And so I live day in and day out with four long-haired people in my house. Now, those of you who don't know what it's like to live with um, women, let me just kind of help you out, guys. They shed a lot, all right? I mean, it's like, I, I'm like, is, are y'all Wookiees? I mean, what's going on here, right? And so they shed a lot of hair. And so um, no doubt what happens in our, our house is that my wife, she has a particular sink that she fix everyone's hair in. And so like when it comes time to clean this bathroom, like I'm, I'm wiping the counter and the vanity down. But if I don't address what is inside of the drain of this one sink, it, it's gonna stay clogged and it's gonna start flowing with dirty water. It doesn't matter how much I clean the exterior, if I don't get beneath the surface in the drain, 
and pull out the 17 dead squirrels is what it looks like when I clean that thing out. I'm like, this just keeps coming out, right? I mean, it's got plaque and all kinds of, I don't know what goes on, but it's amazing that any woman tonight has hair left on your head. It's incredible, all right? And so like, it is this gross experience. And, and listen, here's what I've learned. If you don't clean out the drain, it doesn't matter what you do on the surface. And I share that with you tonight because we are talking about what is underneath the surface, and you can clean the exterior up, and most of y'all have. Y'all look great tonight, by the way. You can clean the exterior up, but if you don't address what is in the drain of your life, what is underneath the surface, things in your life will not flow properly. And it's only a matter of time until everyone realizes that something is clogged up in your life, metaphorically. See, I think we've come in here and a lot of times we come to places like this and, and we, we open up this book and we, we kind of get this message that it's about you being a better you. And it's about you kind of getting the, you know, the, the, the cleansing agent, if you will. In our house, it's thieves because we're that family. Anyway, it's thieves we're spraying and, and it's about you wiping down all of the exterior but denying what is in the drain. And there's this thing that has the tendency to clog every one of our drains here tonight and it's this thing called guilt. Guilt, if you, if you don't really know what that means, definition, let me just kind of bring us all on the same page. Guilt is an emotion associated with acknowledging that we've done something wrong. Now, what we've said all throughout this series as we've talked about emotions in the heart, we've said this, that emotions aren't bad, all right? Like, like it's okay to have emotions, it's just not okay to be emotional. Some of y'all look like I just shot you right now. You're like, why'd you say, you know, I mean, all right? Because there's some of us in the room tonight that, that we have been governed by our hearts and the emotions that run wild in our hearts. And God has given us these emotions not to govern us, but to inform our life. And sin has perverted them. And so guilt, again, it's an emotion associated with acknowledging that we've done something wrong. And, and, and guilt, like it's a gift from God. There, there's guilt that that can, that can kind of govern your life and that means that it's kind of the, the authority or the God of your life and guilt makes a bad God but guilt can be used by God, capital G, to bring you closer to him. But if it's mismanaged, it will cause you to feel dirty. It, it'll cause you to feel unwanted and unworthy and accused and, it, and at best, if you don't learn how to manage guilt in your heart, at best, you, you're just gonna not forgive yourself in life and at worst, you're gonna live with shame that will metamorph into anger and in despair. And listen, when you're in your 40s, you don't wanna be lugging the baggage of guilt around that you've acquired in your 20s. And so let's talk about guilt tonight. And let's have a conversation because you and I, we know that we've all done some things we don't have to go down the list. Some of y'all's lists are longer than others. I may have the longest one. And we don't need to go down the laundry list of things. And I don't have to throw out a bunch of like categories that are gonna make everyone just feel really guilty and awkward tonight. I and mean, we, we all know that there's something that we brought in here. And I wanna look at God's word and I wanna see what he has to say about how we are to navigate this thing called guilt. And what I want you to see tonight is I want you to see that we all in some form or fashion have rejected God. 
and that we have this tendency to relapse back into our old patterns in life, but Jesus has come onto the scene so that he can restore every single one of you into a right relationship with him and on mission to accomplish what he created you and knit you together in your mother's womb to accomplish. This guy, Peter, in the New Testament, man, he knew a lot about guilt. I mean, Peter is kind of the poster child for rejecting Jesus at Jesus's most vulnerable moment. And Peter, like the backstory on Peter, if you don't know much about him, Peter, he's just kind of like a blue collar uh, fisherman. He's kind of rough around the edges. I like my guy, Peter, because he's not kind of the, he's not the, uh, the Ivy League guy, all right? He, he's just, he just, he smells bad. Uh, he works hard and, um, and he, he's just, he's kind of boisterous and that sort of thing. And, and Peter's working, um, he's fishing one day and, and he's just having like one of those nights where it's just not going well. You know, I mean, he's, he's out there, he's working all night, hadn't caught anything. And then this guy shows up on the shore and he's like, hey bro, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And he's like, oh my gosh, I've just cleaned everything, I'm done fishing. But he's like, you know what, we'll give it a try. He throws his net on the other side of the boat. Like, yeah, this is really gonna work, what do you know, you know? And, and then he pulls in the catch of a lifetime and he realizes that there's something different about this guy that just told him how to fish that isn't even a fisherman, he's in fact a carpenter. And this was the first encounter that, that uh, Peter had with Jesus. And so what happened is that, that he fell on his knees and he was like, I am like, wow, you're amazing. Like you just gave me some really good advice and somehow you did this miracle. And here's what Jesus said to Peter, he said, hey bro, I know you've been fishing for fish your whole life, but why don't you come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And so Peter, he's like, all right, let's go. I mean, this is like a dream of a lifetime for Peter. And so he starts following Jesus and, and like Peter somehow works his way uh, into the inner, the inner circle of Jesus. Jesus had, he had like a lot of followers and he had like these 72 guys or people following. Then he had these 12 people called disciples and then he had the inner three and Peter was one of the inner three. So Peter got up close, he got bedside access. I mean, he was able to have a sideline pass to what Jesus was doing. And he saw Jesus do some amazing things. And Peter's this guy that's like, he's the guy that you wanna, like, that you wanna go and, and like demo a, a remodel project with, right? He's not the guy that's gonna install trim. He's the guy that, you, hey, Peter, I need you to knock down all these walls. All right, let's go, you know? He's like a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. And sometimes, you know, you just see him in the New Testament. He's boisterous. He's courageous. And then like on the, the night before Jesus is betrayed, they're, they're having dinner together. It's called the Last Supper. And Jesus looks at all of his guys. He's like, guys, it's about to go down. And when it goes down, when I get arrested to be crucified, y'all are all gonna abandon me. And Peter's like, maybe these guys, but not me, Jesus, right? We ride or die, right? And he's like, nah, bro, I'm with you. I got you, right? This is Peter. And then we find that Jesus, he gets arrested, Peter tries to defend Jesus. He gets arrested and then he's getting tried and then finally it comes to the point where they're hauling him to the place to be crucified. And so Peter, you know, he's right there with Jesus and he's kind of keeping his distance, but he's with this guy. And this is where we pick up in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 69. It says, now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But note this, but he denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you're saying. And when he got gone, or when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl came and, 
and saw him and said to those who were there, this guy right here, this fellow, also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath. He's like, I, I, I promise I don't know the man. Now, now let's just pause real quick. Peter is, again, boisterous, courageous, fisherman, rough hands, right? I mean, it's just that kind of guy. And, and then you've got Greta Thunberg, I guess, that's just intimidating him out there, right? I, I, I mean, what's going on? Why are you scared of this girl, but, but this little middle school girl? They are kind of scary, but this little middle school girl, I guess, is like accusing Peter, and he's like, shh, shh, you know? And he's denied that he even knows Jesus, what goes on in verse 73. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Uh, from time to time, people will start talking with me, and they'll say, hey, you're not from here, are you? And I was like, what, what does that mean? <laughs> They're like, well, you talk a little bit different. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm from the South, all right? You talk to my wife, you'll figure that out a lot sooner. We, we have a little bit of a draw, a little bit of an accent. And Peter, he was from a, a region where they had accents, and so people were like, no, no, you sound like the guys that are from the place that Jesus was from, you know, so he's, his accent's given away, but then Peter says this, he, he says in verse 74, then he began to curse and swear, blankety blank, blank, whatever, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and he wept bitterly. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, write this down, the rejection. The rejection. Peter, he has rejected Jesus. Get this, get into the story tonight. Get into the narrative. Peter has rejected Jesus after he has just, like, I mean, just hours before. I will never reject you, right? He has rejected Jesus at Jesus' most vulnerable moment. And like, like, this is crazy to me because again, like, get the narrative that Peter and Jesus, they're not just acquaintances. Like, like they have prayed together. They live together. They are roommates. They are basically brothers. And just moments before this, he was like professing his loyalty to Jesus. When they came to arrest Jesus, Peter pulled out a fillet knife, cut this brother's ear off. I mean, he's like, I got you, Jesus. Like he's out there like the mask of Zorro, just protecting Jesus. And then now, in this moment, just a moment later, now he is rejecting Jesus. And he has that, uh-oh, I've done something wrong moment and the text says that he went out and he wept bitterly. He was upset because he had grieved Jesus. I don't know if you had this experience. In the South, summer camp was kind of a big deal. And so um, about this time of year, we would load up uh, these charter buses and we would go to Florida or Colorado or something like that. And, and we, would, we would go participate in church camp. Now, church camp, it's just kind of a different animal, y'all. And so the church camp experience is, I think the strategy is like, hey, we're gonna get these teenagers totally exhausted, and then we're gonna give them a lot of sugar, and then on night four, it's gonna be the night where the spirit falls, right? And there's the music, and then the guy gets up there, and he's like, you're all gonna go to hell, right? And you're like, I don't wanna go to hell, right? And then we start repenting, and then there's tears, and, and then and inevitably, there's kind of like the resolve night. You know, it was open mic night at some camps. It was a campfire at other camps, or it's just group. What, what are you gonna take home? People are crying, and you have people get up there, and like, man, they, they're like, man, I, I've gotten closer to God this week than I've ever been in my life. You know, just snotty teenagers, they stink bad, you know? And then, and then they'll say things like, you know what? I'm never gonna sin again. And then, and like, we're all in the audience, like, I think he's right. I think that this is serious. Like, he's been really clean this week, you know? 
Like, I, I mean, he's, it's amazing. And then the other person, they get up there, everybody claps. You know, the person, they're just, uh, you know, just really been impacted by this week. And it's like, you have had three hours of sleep all week. That's what's going on. And then you just be, they begin to say, you know, I'm gonna go home. I'm telling everybody about Jesus. And they're like, this is the next Billy Graham. This is him, right? We're all just like cheering, clapping, right? And, and, and here's what happened. And I know this happened to you because it happened to me. All of these promises, so confident, so committed to the cause of Christ. We're not, we're not three days home. And those old sins start knocking on the door. And you find yourself so close to God. And in just a few moments, rejecting him. It says here that, that Peter, he wept bitterly. And maybe you've done some things in, in your life where you've wept bitterly. And, and tears are often a common response when we feel guilt. But when tears dry up, guilt remains like a dripping faucet in our hearts. And a lot of us, come on, you know this. You've cranked up the volume of life in order to drown out the drip of guilt over the thing that you're ashamed of. And so we've come in here and, and we've learned how to silence the guilt in our life. Like you, you guys are young adults and so you, I know that y'all have done some things in your life, you've lived enough life up until this point where, where you've learned how to silence that guilt in your life just so you can function. So you don't like wake up like, oh, I'm just such a bad person, right? You don't wanna do that, right? And so you've learned how to, how to silence that guilt by, by speaking a narrative and here's the narrative. Um, you know, things like, well, it wasn't just me, you know? Or uh, they did it too. Or I, I, was, I, was, I was in my 20s, you know, it was my 21st birthday. I mean, everybody does that. I mean, everybody does something like that. It was rush week, and it was my freshman year, and I was just trying to fit in. I didn't really know any better. Well, you know, my dad, he's the one that was that way. Or come on, Chad, there was a, there was a pandemic, <laughs> you know? What were we supposed to do? And, and we tell this narrative, we, we speak this narrative in our lives so that we can keep the annoyance of the dripping faucet of guilt at bay in our life. But guilt, man, it's like a tattoo. No matter how much you wash it, it ain't coming off. And, and, and guilt, it's like a tattoo that you carry it with you wherever you go. And so some of you, you picked up guilt at work because you did something you weren't supposed to do. And now you've carried it with you into every relationship that you have. Or maybe you picked up guilt your freshman year in college or you picked up guilt your junior year in high school or you picked up guilt somewhere along the way and oftentimes we carry it with us wherever we go. And guilt, it has this ability to let us know, hey, you did something wrong, you need to deal with this. And then what happens is that it begins to morph into this thing that is so insidious and so detrimental to us all called shame. See, guilt, it tells us what you did. Shame tells us who we are. That shame doesn't say you made a bad decision. Shame says you're a bad person. And if we don't address guilt properly when we have rejected Jesus and hadn't followed his plan, it will begin to define us. And shame says you're wrong, you're messed up. 
See, guilt, it depends upon you being aware of the rules. And so a lot of us, we've come in here and, and we live in, in what sociologists call a post-Christian society. And so what that means is that kind of the top 10 you know, rules, like the Big Ten in Christianity, thou shalt not this, this, and this. Um, a lot of us, we don't really think that that's relevant. And the word of the year in 2016 was post-truth. And, and so here's what we grew up hearing that, hey, hey you, you do you. Follow your heart. And, and so like we have made, a lot of us have made decisions in our life and the counsel that we've given or the counsel that we've been given has been, hey, you shouldn't feel guilty about that. It's your choice. And so oftentimes we can kind of rationalize in our culture why we shouldn't feel guilty because we have, uh, we've done away with truth in our culture. But here's the thing that sociologists, and here's the thing that our society, where it is that we cannot eradicate and we don't know what to do with it because everyone experiences it at some level and it's shame. Top five TED Talks ever delivered. One of them on the subject of shame by Brene Brown. And that shame has this ability to grab a hold of us and define us. And listen, you can justify in our culture why you shouldn't feel guilty, but you cannot deny shame. I wonder, have you ever rejected Jesus? In Luke's gospel, recording the same account, here's what it says in Luke twenty two sixty one that when Peter rejected Jesus, it says this, that the Lord looked at Peter. Listen, God sees everything. Isn't that frightening? That God knows the intentions of your heart. And, and so God sees every sin you've ever committed. Maybe you come in here and you're like, I've never outright rejected God. But every time you've sinned against a holy God, he takes it personal as if you rejected him personally. And we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory and so we bear this shame because we've rejected Jesus. And some of us, we need to know this, that not all sins are created equal. And so there's some sins that create more guilt and more shame than other ones. All sins, they cost the same but they're not the same. It's like the dollar menu at Taco Bell. You know, everything costs the same, but it ain't the same, all right? And sin isn't just the bad things we do. Sin is also the good things that we, we left undone. I remember in my life, kind of my earliest recollection of guilt and that metamorphed into shame was my brother and I, we were, um, we were out in our barn. We had this little shed, and, and my dad had this red toolbox. And one of the compartments on the toolbox was locked. And we're like, why is dad locking his toolbox? This is weird. And so he had tools there. So my brother and I, he, I was eight, he was 10. Uh, we got some screwdrivers out, and we began to, to break into the toolbox. And so once we broke into the toolbox, we found things that we weren't supposed to find. We found Hustler, we found Penthouse, and we found Playboy. And for the first time, I was exposed to pornography. And, and I remember in that, that time, not really knowing exactly what I was looking at, but knowing that it was wrong, even though I never had someone sit me down and say, pornography is wrong. I never had that talk up at this point. But I knew what I was looking at, I was intrigued by, but also I was ashamed of. And this guilt, what I decided to do is I decided to, to bury it. I decided to cover it up. And when you decide to bury your guilt and just cover it up and deny that there's something in the drain, 
what begins to fill up and overflow on the countertop of your life is condemnation. And so some of you are coming tonight and like, here's, here, when you look in the mirror, I am not worthy. When you look in the mirror and you think about you, no one could ever love me. No one could ever forgive me. And condemnation is this powerful force that we feel that will convince us that even God can't love me. And this is where Peter is. And the rooster crowed to remind him of what Jesus said. And so think about it, if Peter doesn't resolve his guilt, then every morning, he lives in an agrarian society, there's roosters everywhere, that's like their alarm clock. Every morning when the rooster crows, he's reminded, you rejected Jesus. What are the roosters that crow in your life that remind you of your shame and of your guilt? Maybe it's a place that you have to drive by and you did something at that place that you're not proud of. Maybe it's a smell that comes to mind and it reminds you of something that you drank or you smoked or something that you've done that you're not proud of. Maybe it's a billboard or maybe it's a strip club or maybe it's, Maybe it's a person. And listen, just real quick, some of you have come in here and, and there's shame that you feel because something that someone else forced upon you. And the enemy wants you to stay trapped in that shame and he wants to convince you that somehow that was your fault. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. And we're not talking about how you should feel guilty for something you never did. That's false guilt, okay? What we're talking about, and, and I think everyone can define or they can distinguish between the two. If you've been abused or molested, let's talk. Let, let's process that together. God has a way out of that for you, I promise. We have people that serve in our ministry that have gone through that. But we're talking about the things that you perpetrated, the things that you did. And what do you do with those things? Because here's what will happen, shame. It'll bring guilt to you regularly, surely as the sun rises. We have an enemy, and in Revelation 12, it says that he's the, the accuser of God's people. That every morning, Satan wants to wake you up to his station of shame called 6.6 6. 6 a.m. And he wants to remind you of the, the shortcomings that you have and how you are unworthy and unlovely. And this is right where Peter is. He's rejected Jesus. And so what happens in the story is that Jesus, he goes on and he's crucified. He, he died and, and Peter, his last interaction with Jesus was denying him. He, Peter didn't even show up to Jesus' funeral. But then something miraculous happened. The reason why we're here today is because, not because Jesus died on a cross per se, but the reason why we're here today is because Jesus rose from the grave. And so Jesus resurrects from the grave. It's the miracle of all miracles and he, he proves that he is the king over sin and death and then he begins to reveal himself to people. And one of the people that he reveals himself to is Peter. And what we find in the Gospel of John, if you wanna turn over a few pages to the end of the Gospel of John, is Peter's last or one of his last interactions with Jesus. And here's what it says in John 21, starting in verse one. 
After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And so these things, that would be the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus is already, you need to note this, he's already revealed himself to Peter twice. And this is the third time he shows himself to Peter. Verse two, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and Two others of his disciples were together, and Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Now, now this is a very significant phrase in the life of Peter, because Peter, when he says, I'm going, it's not like when you go out fishing to go catch some bass on Sunday afternoon, all right, because it's fishing season. It's not that type of a leisure fishing that when Peter says, I'm going fishing, it's the equivalent to Michael Jordan. Y'all remember when he played baseball? And Y'all remember that? Y'all watched the last... Dance. Anyway, so he played baseball, and then once, you know, once that was over, he had a press conference, and he says, I'm playing basketball. Now, when I say I'm playing basketball, it's not that big of a deal, trust me. But when Michael Jordan says, I'm playing basketball, everyone in that scenario knew that it was a career, it was a calling, he was going all in. This is what Peter's saying, I'm going fishing, I'm going back to my old vocation, my old way of life. And then it says that the disciples said to him, they said to him, we're gonna go with you also, Listen, Peter was supposed to be the leader of those who lived on mission for Jesus. Peter was tasked by Jesus to be a fisher of men, and he's shirking his calling because he feels condemned because he rejected Jesus. And when he decides not to live on mission, notice others follow him. That some of you, you are living in guilt, and you're denying what God has called you to do, and you think it's just influencing you but we always affect other people. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, you write this down, the relapse, the relapse. So Peter, he went back to his old way of life. Why? Like, why did Peter do this? Again, if you were there in the store, you would go, Peter, you're, you're supposed to be a fisher of men. You're, you're supposed to be leading this movement. Jesus is about to transition over to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus is alive. There's a lot to live for. Peter, why would you go back to your old way of life? And Peter would be like, why? Why would I go back to my old way of life? Because who am I to tell people about Jesus? I rejected him, bro. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how unworthy I am. Yeah, Peter, but Jesus is alive. Yeah, I get that, I get that. I'm forgiven, but there's no, I have no business telling people about Jesus. You ever been there before? You ever felt that? When you really begin to wrestle with the way you rejected Jesus in some season of your life and so, now, because of condemnation, you can embrace forgiveness, but you can't embrace God's calling in your life. And so maybe you've come in here and you just resolve, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be a, a good person and, and, and I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna kinda live a simple life, and, but guilt has convinced you to walk away from what you were called to do. Like, like a lot of us, we live a Lion King life. What I mean by that is, y'all know Lion King, Simba, you know, he felt real bad because his dad died and he didn't realize that Scar was involved and so he felt like he was the one responsible for it all. And so what he did is that Simba didn't just like run off the deep end, he did run away, but he made a pretty good life for himself, you know? And so he's out there kicking it with Timon and Pumbaa and they're like having a good time, Akuna Matata and all that stuff, right? But he was missing out on his calling. He was meant to be the leader of the pride. And a lot of you, you are living a Simba life and you out there running around with Pumbaa and Timon and you akuna matata, and all the while you are shirking the thing that God has called you to do because you feel bad about something you did when you were a child. 
And God has so much more for you, and he doesn't want you to relapse back into that. So I hear it all the time, talk with young adults. And I'm like, hey, man, do you know the gospel? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know the gospel. I'm like, what are you doing with it? I'm like, well, I, I used to be in community. Well, I used to serve in this student ministry. Well, I used to work at this camp. Well, I used to invite people to know Christ. But I'm not worthy. And you've allowed your sin to convince you that you're disqualified from following Jesus. But listen, here's some good news. You don't have to be defined by your sin, nor do you have to deny your past. There's a third option that Jesus offers to you. We find it clearly in Romans 8.1. This is one of the most amazing verses that just gives us so much hope, and it's the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest theologians of all time, and here's what he says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This, this word condemnation, it, it literally means that you, you feel so bad that nobody can ever accept you, and so you start believing that God can't even forgive you, but what Paul is saying is that pick your head up, believer, that if you are in Christ, no one condemns you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've smoked, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've judged people in your heart, no matter what's going on in your life, what's been done to you, you can be free and forgiven and live a life of liberty and a lack of condemnation in Christ. That in Christ there is no condemnation. He says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So here's my charge. Here's my admonition. Quit putting more faith in your opinion of your past than what God's word says about your past. And allow the, the spirit of God to begin to forgive you. Like, like listen, I, I, I condemned myself for years. And, and guilt still gets teased up in my heart over things that I've done in my past. And I'm reminded that if I live condemned, then I will forfeit all that God wants to do in my life because of guilt. Like, like you need to know this, man. When I was a boy, when I was a young adult, I wasn't like, you know what? One day I'm gonna have a Bible up on a stage with a microphone and I'm gonna be telling people about Jesus. I never thought I'd be doing this, y'all. This is the shock of the century. I don't come from a pedigree of pastors. My dad was an alcoholic roughneck and worked in shipyards. Come from a broken home. Come from a broken life. But by the grace of God, he called me to be forgiven. I remember as a, at an at a apex or at a, at, a, at a fork in the road in my life as a young adult, I was like, you know what? I could never live on mission, and so I'm just gonna medicate my guilt by doing something noble like going to the medical field. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna resolve to live a quote-unquote good American life, all the while denying the gifts and the abilities that God birthed inside of me. What are you running from that you know God has called you to, but because you slipped into some sin and you rejected Jesus, you're now relapsing into your old way of life? And Peter is trying to help us see that there's more on the horizon. 
Some of you, you're letting guilt silence the gospel on your lips. Some of you are letting guilt gouge the service in you. Listen, don't let guilt leave you condemned. You can live today honest with the guilt that you carry, but confident that you are not condemned because you know Christ. Let, let, let me let you in on a little secret real quick. When it comes to who's qualified and who's not to live on mission for Jesus, here's the secret, all right? None of us are qualified. It's like when I was coaching Little League soccer, okay? My, my daughter, she signed up to play soccer. They're like, we need some coaches. I was like, yeah, we need some coaches. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't know anything about soccer. But you know what? I said, you know, I'll, I'll coach. And so I became the head coach of the six-year-old zebra, or no, we were the unicorn soccer team. Now, we didn't win a game, y'all, because I didn't know what I was doing. And I wasn't qualified, but I was able to step into that role. Why? Because I had a relationship with the right person. And I was available. And those that God uses the most are not the qualified in fact, I think the ones that God uses the most are the ones that are keenly aware that they are not qualified, but they have a relationship with God and an available spirit. This is what God is after. And so what Peter, he, he's forgetting all of this, and maybe you've forgotten this tonight, that guilt has, has convinced you that you need to stay condemned and reject your calling. And so Peter, he's, he's retreated because he, he, you know, he's relapsed back into his old way of life because there was a real time where he really rejected Jesus. And, and, and what happened is that he was allowing guilt to be his God and tell him what to do, not Jesus be his God. And so Jesus in this story, he sees them out there fishing and so he walks out there and, and he, and he kind of can tell that they're, they're frustrated because they're not catching anything and this should sound like a familiar story in Peter's life and Jesus yells from the shore, hey, cast your net on the other side. They're like, that sounds familiar. They cast the net on the other side. They bring in a big catch. At that time, Peter realizes this is Jesus. So Peter jumps into the water like Forrest Gump when he saw Lieutenant Dan, and he's just Michael Phelps in it getting to the shore because he's seeing Jesus, and Jesus is recreating a catered moment to remind Peter of the way he was called into ministry, specific for Peter. And so Peter gets to the shore, he sits down with Jesus, they eat a filet fish and they begin to chop it up and Peter's catching his breath and he's drying off and here we pick up in John 21, 14, it says now, excuse me, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he raised from the dead. The three in the Bible, anytime it says three, that means that, that it's exhausted. It's like um, this is the, the most amount of time. So when Peter rejected Jesus three times, it was, that was a, the Bible's way of saying he completely rejected him. When it says that Jesus revealed himself to his guys for the third time, it's like Jesus is really revealing himself to them. And it goes on in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now theologians, they debate about what these means. And some of them think that he's looking at the, the, the disciples. Do you, Peter, do you love me more than these guys, more than people pleasing? When someone asks you again, do you know me, will you reject me again? And other people, they believe that Jesus is referring to these as, as kind of the fish that Peter has drug up to the campfire. 
Either way, what Jesus is saying to Peter is, hey, do you love me more than people pleasing and do you love me more than your old way of life? And Peter, he replies to Jesus, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus says then, feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? This is his Drake hotline bling. Anyway, and so he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Won't you call me? Anyway, Peter was grieved. Listen, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And he goes on and said, most assuredly, I say to you that when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. Church history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down for following Jesus. And then he said, when he had spoken these things, Jesus said to Peter once again, follow me. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes tonight, write this down, the restoration. The restoration. This is the good news, y'all. Some of you have come in here and you've got guilt and shame. You don't know what to do. But what a friend we have in Jesus. And Jesus has come to you and he's saying, hey, your life is not over. Jesus, he's restoring Peter through his grace and love. That, that Peter was once a fisher of men, now God is calling him to not only fish for men, but also feed his sheep, that Jesus is restoring Peter and he's recalling him to live on mission. And some of you, you have a perverted view of God and so you think God is looking at you at the time that you rejected him, like, what have you done? How could you? And you think that Jesus would have showed up to Peter and be like, bro, why'd you reject me? But this isn't the God of the Bible. That's a God of your own invention, your own construction. That the God of the Bible is gentle and he is gracious that he is long-suffering and he sits down at a campfire and he fixes a meal and he says to Peter, hey, do you love me? And he doesn't bring up his past. He doesn't berate him and shame him. Shame does not come from the lips of God. And he recalls Peter and he breathes new confidence in Peter and he's saying to Peter, I know what you did, but I don't condemn you. You're forgiven, but also you're called to live on mission. That shame comes in every one of our lives. And shame knows your name, but it calls you by your sin. But Jesus comes into every one of our lives and he knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. That God looks at you and he says, I know what you've done, but I don't hold it against you. That I don't see you that way and I don't want you to see yourself that way either. The hardest person in my life to forgive was the person that caused the greatest hurt in my life. And that was me. And I was following Jesus and I was in his word, but I just, I felt like I was bitter towards somebody that I knew really well. It was me. And God, he revealed to me in 2 Corinthians that he gives me grace sufficient to foot the bill of whatever offense has been done against me, even my own offense. And some of you are holding yourself hostage here tonight, but God wants to release you from that bondage and to give you forgiveness, that God has restored you to guiltless despite of your guilt. 
You are guilty because you did it, but you are not condemned because Jesus died. In Mark's gospel, he, Jesus resurrects from the grave and he reveals himself, this, or this, this angel tells this lady, hey, go let the disciples, and it says real specifically in, in Mark 16, 7, go let the disciples and Peter know that I'm risen. It was as if Jesus was trying to let Peter know life isn't over. There's so many of these little Goldilocks details, these intricate details all throughout this. Like even in John chapter 21, verse 9, it says that, that they got around a charcoal fire when Jesus was talking to Peter. The only other time the word charcoal is used is when Peter is rejecting Jesus. That John is trying to draw a parallel here that, that Jesus is gathering around the spot and he's creating a similar environment to remind Peter that he can be restored even though he rejected him. That this is the God of the Bible. That he wants to single you out and call you by name. That he wants to remind somebody here tonight that maybe you've made a great commitment to be all out for God and to follow God and typically the greater the commitment we make, the more embarrassment we feel when we fail. And we think in our mind that it's our level of commitment that somehow secures us in our relationship with God. And Peter is a great reminder that it's not your ability to hang on to God that gives you security in your salvation. It's like when I went swimming with my firstborn and she was just a baby and we got in the water that first time and she was just so scared, hanging on to me like a wet cat. And she thought that her salvation and not drowning was dependent upon her ability to hang on to her daddy. But what she didn't understand is that daddy's arms are a lot stronger than hers. And that the security of her salvation was not dependent upon the level of her commitment, but dependent upon the strength of her daddy's arms. And this is what it means to trust Christ. And so she learned that when I get in the water with my dad, I can trust him. Have you trusted Christ? What's your plan with, with your guilt? If you trusted Christ, here's what you forfeited. You forfeited the right to condemn yourself. If you trusted Christ, you've also forfeited the right to be defined by your guilt. Guilt can remind you of what you've done, but it does not define you. If you trusted Christ, you've also forfeited the right to condemn others because that would make you the biggest hypocrite. And typically the one that judges other people is the least aware of their own issues. And if you trusted Christ, listen, you forfeited the right to follow your own way of life. When the rooster crowed, Peter was reminded that he rejected Jesus. But because he was restored by Jesus, every time the rooster crowed from there on out, he was reminded of Christ's work in his life. And so for me, I was exposed to some things I shouldn't have seen as a boy that infected my life. And to this day, when I drive past a strip club, when I see a raunchy billboard, when I hear of adultery in marriage, I think that could be me. But the grace of God that sometimes I will relive my past not to remember my pain 
but to celebrate my healing. Do you have that pivot in your story? Do you know Christ? So for the rest of the the Bible, we never see Peter stepping back into another boat. That, That Peter, this this courageous guy that then turned to coward and then ran away from his calling. He's restored by Jesus and he begins to follow him and he leads the greatest movement ever to face the planet Earth called the church. And listen, he would have forfeited it all if he didn't deal with the thing that was in the drain called guilt. And so don't run away from God's restoration any longer because of guilt. How's your heart, Paradigm? What are you guilty of? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you just for this opportunity to be with my friends. I pray that you would speak to their hearts and my heart as well. God, I thank you that your mercy is endless. I thank you that your grace is amazing. Because if it was up to me, I would have disqualified myself long ago. And I pray if somebody doesn't know you, they would step into a right relationship with you. That that guilt, that shame, that wouldn't define them. They wouldn't deny it. They wouldn't be governed by their guilt. But they would simply give it to you and you would take care of it. You said on the cross, tetelestai, it is finished. God, help us to quit living in such close proximity to our past. Help us to get free and chase after you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.